were the jokes actually funny or was I just like, I'm reading something on the internet? Welcome back, everybody, to Girls Talk Comics. It's your girl, Erin, Master of Mediocrity, here with another guestopode. Guestical. Kristen, which one do you prefer, guestopode or guestical? Uh, I'm going to go with guestopode. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> guestopode. Um, yeah, so spoiler, it's Kristen. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hello. Tell us about yourself, Kristen. Uh, so I'm Kristen Kumal Evans. I'm the creator of a webcomic called uh, 12 of Magic and Muses. Um, I just finished the trilogy this year in print, but the webcomic is still updating six times a week uh, until the day before my birthday next year. So September 10th is when the last page will will drop for that. So you're updating cool. six times a week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I did my web comics backwards. Uh, I did not realize most people worked uh, like page by page. And turns out uh, I can't work that way. So I ended up making like a massive buffer by accident. And oh, legit. Yeah. So uh cool thing was that I got to bring out my books faster than most people expect to. But uh, bad news is it means that I had a lot less time to like gain traction in an audience so it's a it's a give and take situation that's fair you know as someone who loves the free content that creators like you put out on the world um i do see a lot of breaks as people get kind of burnt out and exhausted even from that page to page stuff and they you know they want to build that buffer so i'm honestly curious do you feel like not as exhausted um I would say I'm not as exhausted, but mostly because I don't have to deal with the mental pressure of having like missing a deadline. Like I don't ever have to worry about a page being on time because it's already been scheduled like three years in advance. So for me, the pressure comes into spending a lot of time by myself working on the next series and not knowing if this crazy bet is going to pay off in any way or if it'll grow or if it'll shrink or if it'll just like fade into nothingness. So yeah, it's a, it's a little different because <laughs> again, too, even with some of my peers, like everyone's working in smaller chunks and I'm just like, here's the whole story and now I'm just <laughs> finishing it. And it's just kind of like, oh yeah, most people, most people don't do this. Oh, oh, whoops. So I appreciate it because I'm not somebody who works well on a, on a deadline. I like knowing exactly where I'm going and I can make all the changes before it even goes live and that kind of stuff so that's, that's where my all yeah. yeah that's where all of my advantages are there's got to be a beauty to that kind of specifically like creator owned focused your own timeline thing where you're like every change is live i do what i want <laughs> like yeah. oh, i can produce <laughs> as i want oh that's so cool yeah no um it's it is really interesting because seeing as how other people work like day of they're able to like make a lot of really crazy adjustments at the last minute or really see where their audience is reading into their story at that time whereas i feel more like a prose writer where it just kind of is told then and there yeah and i <laughs> there's nothing i can and people have to deal with it yeah <laughs> take that listeners you know actually that's i i think i, I really enjoyed that about the first volume because i did read um is it monsters is that the first name yeah. of the first volume yep there it is yeah um 
I have three bookshelves in different places. I had to see where, <laughs> where it was. Um, it felt a little bit more congruent than other web comics I've read because I, maybe it's because of that uh, lack of last minute shifts that can happen from people reacting to their fan base right away. Like it, it flowed really well and it had an arc. And I say that about a lot of books and I'm not quite sure how to word it specifically to this. I don't know. It just reminded me of something that was already complete, like an actual graphic novel rather than a webcomic series. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I, it, that's kind of something that I've had to struggle with personally recently is realizing that because I was having a hard time finding ways to like get proper critique with my story but my husband pointed out that like you're not actually a webcomic artist you're a graphic novelist that happens to put your comics on the web and like just realizing from that perspective obviously made me feel like you know that's that's right. I'm not working at the same pace as a lot of my peers. I bring out my print editions before the webcomic is finished updating. So yeah, I think like just knowing that you are actually working in a different way than what you were thought you were going to work in has actually kind of like helped me reestablish how I want to keep creating That's and getting better and that kind of stuff. That's important stuff. Yeah. So I really appreciated him and his support. <laughs> well, good for him. Round of applause for supportive yeah. spouses. <laughs> yeah. So you're, I, I just really want to shoot the shit about web comics with you. And oh, also yeah. this is a show you can cuss on if you would like to. Um, <laughs> That's good. I have a very dirty mouth. <laughs> yes. Yes. We, we're very casual. If people have their children listen, that's on them. <laughs> like, yeah. No one has yet to complain to us about our language. Thank you. You know, when we were talking about graphic novels versus series, it did get, make me think about all the different stuff I've read. I've read a lot of webtoons kind of stuff, questionable content. Um, there is this one Mega Man webcomic that was all like the 8-bit <laughs> pixel comic. Which one? Sprite comic? So, yeah. There's actually a whole genre of really? those kind of comics and they're specifically called sprite comics. Oh legit. Which is where yeah, which is where they just take sprite like game sprites and then reuse them to make their own comic. Okay. Okay, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was a really hilarious sprite comic that it had nothing really to do with the Mega Man universe, but you know, just use the Mega Man sprites in some of the context. Anyway, it was hilarious. But they do differ since we were just talking about the graphic novel versus webcomic, they do differ from like Rice Boy. Did you ever read Rice Boy? I have not read Rice Boy, at least in its entirety, but I do kind of get that idea that the storytelling of a graphic novel is different from yeah. a webcomic. And even then, like webcomics can vary in their styles of storytelling. Like you have one extreme, which is like Homestuck, <laughs> which yes. is legitimately a web comic. You can't really enjoy it as what it is without having access to the internet and playing all the flash games and that kind of stuff. And then you have like what I do, which is just comic pages that happen to be on the web. And then of course there's all the different methods of storytelling that way. And even you said that you read webtoons. And if you've ever read Sweet Home, mm -hmm. it's a horror uh, manga. I find that that even breaches the term of webcomic because it's going panel by panel. And the panels are so minute in how they change that it's almost more like an animation if you're scrolling fast enough. So like you're not actually getting an animation because it's, it's separate panels, but the act of scrolling it on your phone makes it 
feel like an animation in your brain. Oh, legit. So it'll be something like inching away or a door closing or something like something very minute. To me, that just feels like a lot of extra work. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I will say that it's very effective, especially considering it is a horror comic. Yes. So, you know, you'll be scrolling along, getting these cute little like animation styles. And then all of a sudden there's just like monster face. Like, yeah. Right. Like, so it's like the Junie Ito page turn, except reveals. Yeah. With a, yeah. Except with a vertical scroll format, which is very interesting. That is a good point, though, about how that subtle change really drives the effect of a horror book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but your books really focus more on relationships and like subtle changes of a door slamming isn't really going to. No, add much to your story. Like, I, I mean, unless it's very specific, somebody's eavesdropping kind of moment. But you know, yeah, I, I think it also helps that if Webtoons is the one paying you to make these comics, then you can have that little more breathing room. Whereas uh, I don't. So, <laughs> Fair point. Uh, as a web comic artist, I am not paid. <laughs> so Fair it's just a matter of like point. printing the books and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it really is like. The cool thing about webcomics is it really is dependent on what kind of comic you want to make. And there's a lot of like different advantages and ways of storytelling that isn't typical in like just printed comics, which I find very fascinating. Talk more about that. Just teach me about webcomics because all I know (laughs) is the consumption side and like... So Firelight Isle by Paul Duffield, I think is his last name. I'm very sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but everyone I know is scrolled on Twitter and I'm sorry. And I, <laughs> I don't double check pronunciation. But uh, so he did a very vertical webcomic called Firelight Isle, which was lovely and beautiful. But like <laughs> this crazy guy also like went out and got a scroll version of his webcomic. So it's just one single scroll of his entire comic just leaned out. I was like, that's crazy. And I think he wanted to make it a a stretch goal for his Kickstarter. I can't Mm -hmm. remember if he did or did not, mostly because the cost was very astronomical. Yeah. (laughs) But my opinion of Kickstarters is that you can make crazy rewards. And if you're lucky, you'll find that one crazy person that will just pitch for it. So yeah, <laughs> there's no skin off your back, luckily. Honestly, the idea of a scroll comic just makes me think of the color of the sky post from Tumblr from years ago, where it just kind of scrolled on forever and ever. <laughs> but that would be such like, you want to talk about traditional reading, right? On a scroll and you're like, yeah. <laughs> winding it like- up and down. like. <laughs> I'm just like, this is wild. Like, it's always one of those cool things that I would never have thought of to even think of doing with my comic and just to see somebody else, like, just go that extra mile and get it done physically and not as, like, an idea was just so cool. So That is is so neat. I mean, webcomics, it's like a renaissance for webcomics, I feel. So many of them are getting physical prints, either from publishers or on their own. And then with the whole webtoons being converted into anime, Netflix series, like all kinds of different shows, it's really exciting. At the same time, I'm also kind of hate it because it's like, we don't have to create, the companies are like, we are not going to invest in people to create ideas until after they've already proven successful. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I mean- If I'm honest, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's always been how publishing has worked. Really? Yeah. And I, uh, I could be very wrong because I'm probably as close to 
the actual knowledge of traditional publishing as Pluto is to the sun. But <laughs> good analogy. Just from my peripheral views and talking with people who are actually publishers, they are not the golden gates that we like to attribute to them. And a lot of them are gold plated. So it's more about like showing off the prestige and not actually realizing how it all works underneath. But like, you know, talking with writers, it's very common to not have a manuscript be picked up for 10 years. So a writer will actually have an entirely finished book that just doesn't get picked up for 10 years. And it could be a good, an amazing book. But if a publisher doesn't feel like they have a market to sell to, they won't take it, which is a struggle that I think a lot of creators don't see from that side Mm. is that you know, there is a business aspect to it. And when they do, you know, give you an advance, they are investing in you. And because the competition is so high, unfortunately, it also means that they have to be really careful about the kind of stories they pick up. So I do try to give them that credit. Okay. Because yeah. we're all working in the same level. Yes. However, there are definitely really bad publishers that take cruel advantage of people and it does not make creators feel better (laughs) no can't imagine it does no wow so uh yeah and like you know there's a lot of assumptions um especially about comics that just don't exist like you know the layman assumption is that you just sell comics to disney and then they make your movie and it's like that superman has existed since the 1930s or the 1920s yeah. Took him more than a hundred years to get like a movie that worked for him. Yeah. Like, you know, it took to the 1970s to even have a movie. Yep. And like, <laughs> and even then it didn't have any prestige. Like the guy yeah. who played Superman was not, he was, I think, miserable about it because being typecasted as a superhero at that time was not what you yeah. wanted in your acting it's career. Like, oh, hey, <laughs> Toys R Us wants you to sign some Superman toys. Like, like, that was the extent of it. And like Christopher Reeves is hoping that it's like this big break like how we treat it now yep but that was not the case no no (laughs) so it is it is a little frustrating because you know like even finding out that the average graphic novel sales are like 700 units and that's it and if you compare that to traditional prose publishing that is microscopic it's a lot more complicated that, you know, there's a lot of personal problems with Disney production on Marvel films, like they don't pay their VFX crew, or there's issues with unionization and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, even with the long stream of credits that you see at the end of a Marvel movie, you're not seeing their Singapore studios, you're not seeing their Korean studios, you're not seeing because they're not unionized, and they yeah. don't have people to fight for them and all that other sort of stuff. So, you know, as as much as that, like, Golden Gate makes it far easier to market your stuff and convince other people that it's good because you can be like, well, it has the House of Mouse slapped on it, so it must be good. They bought it. Uh, (laughs) Fair. It's a very different scenario when you're actually like dealing with the mechanics of how comics and novels work. And web comics are this weird niche. They're like the most bastard of all of the bastard children of literature. You know, in traditional <laughs> publishing, you have nonfiction, which is like the ultimate academia. Yeah. You can charge $700 for a textbook. Because of all the research. Yeah, because of all the work. research and it's yeah. legit. And, it, you know, it's 
It's academic knowledge. Yeah. And then you have fiction writing, which is like, okay, well, I guess, you know, human emotions count for something. So I guess that's that's good. And then you have genre fiction, which just gets kicked around oh, by the literary community all the time. That's the good stuff, literary community, genre fiction. <laughs> Fight me. Within, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then within genre fiction, you have comics. So mm-hmm. you now have a visual narrative in this group of people who don't think visual, like you're not really reading because it's all pictures. So it's like, then you have that. And then on top of it, you have like, you know, the big two publishing genre, yeah, comic, yeah. comic fiction. And then you have web comics who are visual writers who don't charge anything. <laughs> so they are just <laughs> shoved into this tiny little corner of literary fiction that exists but we don't like to talk about them because they're weirdos. Because they're doing the stuff people like. And I'm also going to have the literary commu- community fight me on that one. You want to talk about like niche things that really grab my attention and hit the, all the check marks? Web comics, like yeah. funny, scary, uh, slow burn romance, you know, and like, of course, people who are like, this is my fantasy for a partner. And I'm like, hell yeah, you and I have the same f- partner fantasies. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's perfect stuff. It's beautiful stuff. And I love it. And I even enjoyed the Sprite comics because you're like, of course, it's hilarious that Mega Man's an idiot who is yeah. going to like joke his way through this and accidentally say something smart in one chapter, which is literally the only scene I remember from the Mega Man comic (laughs) comic that I was reading but like it just uh, and the communities that get built around them too it's like everybody's very secretive about it but the amount of people I know who I met later in life who read questionable content I was like web comics bringing us together anyway yeah I mean like it's one of those things too where I don't think really web comics existed in like the thought process of like readers because at first they were very like sprinkled about the internet and you kind of had to know somebody who knew where the web comics were. There weren't any centralized hubs or platforms. So like it was one of these weird things where they didn't even feel like comics because they just felt like a website that you happen to read comics on. Like it wasn't until like in that they got their name in hindsight, mm. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, where like they started to become like a legitimate genre of storytelling and they started to get like really crazy and like they started to really push the boundaries of like what literary storytelling even is especially in the comics sphere of things that makes sense though i used to kind of always equate them in my head to sunday morning comics like the newspaper comics which are just you know a strip every week and oh my gosh i'm gonna overthink that that's legitimate art and storytelling too that we just all kind of casually consumed and dismissed but that is kind of what those early online comics were yeah like strip comics was one of like the cheapest ways i say cheapest but like it's a it's in a cheap pulpy format Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of strip comics that just don't exist anymore like and i'm talking about stuff that's existed since the 1900s like when newspapers started like illustrations for newspapers was very much a thing that started and then eventually comics kind of slowly started to make their way in you know the sunday funnies or whatever um and that but because they're cheap and on newsprint and they're just there to make you laugh in four panels like nobody took care of them so there's a lot 
of those comics that just don't exist anymore because they were never archived because they were just seen as throwaway. And even with a lot of web comics, that's happened where they haven't been archived. So, you know, somebody stopped paying their host. They didn't keep any backup copies of their old comics and those web comics just don't exist anymore. Oh. Like you almost get oh. like this Mandela effect where nobody even knows what you're talking about because so few people even had the chance to experience them in the 2000s. So it's like, you know, it's not even widely as widely distributed as something like a, a newspaper. So, you know, it, it's really an interesting archival process. And even something like Homestuck, which doesn't work anymore because Flash, Flash doesn't dead. work. Yeah. So like you have this whole content that can no longer be like archived extremely well. I think a crazy fan actually managed to archive it properly mm-hmm. as a flash for you to experience, but uh, I haven't personally checked that out to see how legit it is. Mostly because Homestuck is massive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, fan, if that's legit. Yeah. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah, but like there have been people like we, because I'm in a Spider Force collective, so somebody will bring up like, oh, has anybody remembered this webcomic? I can't tell if it was a fever dream or if it actually existed, but I remember this thing existing and then like people will like try and piece together dead links on the Wayback Machine and be like, I think this is what you're talking about. So it existed, but I can't tell who the creator is because they've changed their handle six times and it's been like a decade and like, they just don't exist anymore. And of course, like, especially in those early comics, like they might not even have like a comment feature Mm -hmm. or have any social media. So like they could have like, put out like 500 pages and not known anybody was actually reading it unless they were like specifically adding metrics to their website. And then to find out that you affected all of these people like <laughs> two decades later without even like... We got to go find the MySpace, the Live Journal, the Zanga to like sometimes find those folks. See, like I didn't hear about Zanga until the... Um, I was listening to the... Uh, and That's Why We Drink podcast, which uh, is like a paranormal... yeah. Uh, true crime podcast and they brought up Zynga I never heard of Zynga oh my gosh like I barely <laughs> I didn't even get a MySpace page so like this oh, is all like no. new information to me I was one of those edgy kids with the Zynga because Zynga I th- like or at least my group that used Zynga it was very much like oh my god here's an emo song lyric as we pine over a crush he'll never look our way uh, that's how I used it it totally had the X's in the username <laughs> so you know that's who I am as an adult. <laughs> that, that's legit. That's legit. This is who I am. Now, I'm, you know, I'm going to start looking for the comics that I used to read that are to- probably totally dead and not archived, right? Because I want to find this Mega Man Sprite comic. I want to look back and read it again and see if I could even get the jokes. Were the jokes <laughs> actually funny or was I just like, I'm reading something on the internet? And just giggling. And you're like, wow, this is really something 14 year old me liked. And yeah. I have like, no idea why. Boy, did I think I was smarter than I was. You know, like, I mean, uh, on that note, though, it is kind of cool to know that that Mega Man comic can only exist as a webcomic because of copyright issues. So, like, yeah. no publisher can ever pick that up. Never. Like, ever. So, it's like a zine. But for the internet, where you can just get around publishing and God like damn it. draw whatever characters you want. Web comics are really fucking cool because there's just so much freedom <laughs> with it. Gosh darn it. I love it. This is why I yell about it in your server all the time. Every time Hell somebody yeah. brings up comics. 
So just sneak in and be like, web comics. Web comics. Dude, you dropped so many recommendations. Like so many good <laughs> recommendations. Like to the point that I'm like, I don't I don't know what I need to read. There's so many things. Like what is it? The Aradia? Aradia Comic Network. Yeah. So they're yeah. a Magical Girls specific <gasps> collective that I'm with them. There's some Spider Force comics on there. And there's some comics that don't have other platforms to be on that are there. I can't name them off the top of my head because I'm in an interview. So of course I forget all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Samesies. <laughs> my name. Yeah. But the Aradia Comic Collective has been really cute. And the main runner of the show who we call her Nan, because that's what she goes by. Okay. She's from Puerto Rico and she just oh, goes that's hardcore so cool. in running the server. Like, I think pretty much by herself. And I feel so bad that she's doing this and running a webcomic. That's so cool. <laughs> At the same time, like, I'm just blown away by, like, her. And she just gets stuff done and it's it's great. So she has a comic on there called Ar- Ara and Saley. I believe okay. it's called. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's quite cute. Will do. Will do. I need a, I've kind of hit like all of the webtoon comics that are currently out that I think fit. Like I'm, I'm investing time and in c- concurrent reading in. Cause I always pick up something new and then I read like 40 chapters in a sitting and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> my binge for yeah. the day. <laughs> so I need to, I think I need to circle in some new collectives. You also brought up Comicadia? Uh, Comicadia is the one I'm least familiar with. Okay. But a group of people who were originally with Spider Forest decided to break off and mm-hmm. make their own comic collective. So they were running theirs. Uh, there's some comics that used to be with us that are now over there. I'm not too familiar with how they run things. I think I was in their server for a bit, but I ended up leaving because I have so many servers I'm in. That's that fair. I just don't. Yeah. Participated. <laughs> um. But yeah, there's a bunch of webcomics there. Why don't you talk about Spider Forest as well? Yeah. So Spider Forest is the collective I'm a part of. It's a volunteer-run organization that's collaborative effort between us and like 200 other webcomic artists and whoever they're hiring to do writing or art or whatever. So they've been around for, I think, two, two decades I might be wrong. That's a, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> that's a good long life. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've they've been around for a while and they used to have a counterpart. Spider Force was like the fantasy forum side and then I think there was a sci-fi side and then that just kind of got small and shrunken to mm. the Spider Forest. We usually try to do projects together. Like we've done some anthologies that we've kickstarted. We've done a coloring book. We did a podcast for two seasons, nice. but our sound person got overwhelmed. So we haven't been able to do another one, but we have plenty of topics we'd, we'd like to talk about. You know, we just have like a very open forum of materials. So like we do, we, we have a master printer list there for webcomic. Like even if you're not a part of the collective, we try to offer advice and information so that it's easier for like other people to find stuff about comics. So we try to like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Open source community building and focus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, let's face it. None of us are making money at this. So the least you can do is make it a little easier to find. Yeah. There are definitely people who focus and I think want that profit. And of course, if they're going to give instruction, they want to get paid for it. But it's a creative thing. Like, I'm trying to think about that kind of open sourcing information when it comes to professional careers in the sense of like social work as well. Yeah. And I hate the idea of delineating between the two. I feel, I fear when social work information is just out there without 
any professional training, it gets dangerous because then it starts getting into the pop psych stuff where it's (laughs) not always right. Yeah. So then again, therapy and the creation process are different. And as, as mentorship, which is where you would get paid to provide information is also its own field and it also can be a free service. I guess it just depends on the demand or whatever. So maybe I'm overthinking it. I think I am overthinking it, but I always try to compare like, how would I feel about that if people in my profession were like, give all your secrets away for free? (laughs) So Yeah. I mean, I I will say that the like taking care of somebody's mental state is much different than running around and making comics for your for yourself. Thank you. (laughs) Even if it does have therapeutic value for the creator, at least. Um, And the reader. But I will... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am just going to say that, like, I think what I mean is, like, we have a lot of generic information. Okay. So, you know, like, most of it, is, I would classify it as logistical. So, oh. like, you know, where's a good place to find your printer? That's dependent on where you're located in the States or in Canada or abroad. What are the tips of crowdfunding and kickstarting? And most people will try to give information to the best of their knowledge. But, like, I personally hired someone to help me run my first Kickstarter because I just wanted somebody to be like, hey, you should do this or hey, this needs to come. And I wanted to make sure that that person's time, I wasn't constantly like in their DMs being like, I don't know what to do and everything's on fire. Right. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah much more relaxed process than I was expecting. I mean, obviously the funding was not the the process of running the campaign with somebody next to you and knowing that you could kind of bother them when you needed to, because you were trying to like pay them for their, their time was, uh, was quite helpful. I've done a lot of panels on like running Kickstarters and stuff like that, but it really is, it's different when you can have somebody that can sit down Mm. with you personally go through your personal project and make adjustments to your personal thing and so like you you can always get the generic brand but if you want like specified proper instruction then you can you can get somebody's time that way and usually most people are willing to help if you know if you've got some cash so it really is dependent on the creators like time and how much energy they have and what you expect from them to do for your campaign it's a really good point and i didn't mean to like completely derail from free content to <laughs> should we get paid cuz everybody should get some compensation for their work not necessarily pay because uh, you know that depends on how much you buy into capitalism and dreams could come true one day uh, <laughs> or when it's really different when you're all poor so <laughs> yeah there's also that. <laughs> uh, you know a nice you know round of applause or a pat on the back of like or you know that beautiful thumbs up like button <laughs> just oh, that exists in some yeah forums but i mean if, if it helps i have seen both paid and free information about kickstarters that are totally wrong so Ooh. i mean <laughs> there you, really you go know who you're getting advice from that's fair um, that's fair mostly because sometimes you'll read something about how to run a kickstarter and it really just feels like the grossest vacuum cleaner salesman tactics Ooh. and you're just like if i do this all of my friends will never talk to me ever again. <laughs> do you have friends? Like, how did you run your Kickstarter campaign like this? <laughs> or do you just, are, are you okay with just guilting your family members? Because do not run your Kickstarter like an MLM. <laughs> like, please don't. Jesus. No, to be <laughs> honestly, podcasting advice is like that too, where they're just like, yeah. these are all the things you need to do. And of course, it's the same article on every website, right? It's always the same advice. And it usually just involves use the people you know. And 
I'll be honest when making this podcast, I'm like, I don't want anybody I'm like hella close with in person to listen. And some of them do. And I love the ones who do, who enjoy it, who have given me feedback. That's amazing. But there's, I have so much fear of looking at one of my friends in the eye and then being like, what the fuck did you just say on your phone? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> Which episode? <laughs> so uh, most of that advice about like, use your friends and your connections and, you know, really kind of twist arms and stuff. I just ignore it. Cause I'm like, I am great with digital, co- like, criticism. If somebody sent me an anonymous email, I'm like, awesome. I'm not looking you in the face. But if it was my friend who was like, that fucking sucks. <laughs> or you said the wrong thing. I'd be like, I can't yeah. do that. But there's also a, ta- a bit of that, like, why am I friends with these people? Am I friends with people for them to like constantly be supporting me in my project? They're not even doing their own projects. Or if they are, they're not projects I can support. Yeah. Like starting small businesses for specific skill sets that I don't need, or if it's personal professional goals that I'm not in any way affiliated with. I I have a friend who works in a museum. I don't know shit about museums. She's wanting to grow her career. I can't help her. Why am I going to ask her to listen to my podcast? <laughs> like, yeah. there's, no, there's no fairness here. So I, I get that. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just ignore that advice. No. And I, I definitely stuck in that position too. Cause I'm just like, I want people to read my comic, but the last thing I want is to guilt people into reading my comic. Yeah. And, but I still need places to vent because if I don't vent, I will like personally explode. So it's just like, Oh, why is this taking so hard to get traction? And then somebody will be like, Oh, do you want me to read it for you? And I'm like, do you want to read it? And they're like, eh, it's not really my thing. And I'm like, don't, don't, don't do it. Yeah. It, it's a lot of, pages you don't you don't need to force yourself to read it so it's uh it's tricky and like all you can really come down to is like life's not fair (laughs) (laughs) yeah and with podcasting since there's such an obsession with downloads there are some times that i might just go to people and be like can you just download it immediately delete it from your queued up podcast list but if you could just hit it just give me the the rush of a download. I just want an engagement number. That's it. Yeah. Those are nice feelings. So I don't know if you track metrics for yours, but that's got to be one of those things where you're like, can you just click on the website? Just click. I, okay. So I try to avoid metrics like the plague and mm-hmm. mostly because the way metrics are designed do not in any way, shape or form properly explain the popularity of a webcomic. That's fair. Because... I think about how I read web comics and I will find a web comic I like. I will binge through it. I will stop reading it because I hit the end and then I won't look at that comic again for a year. It might be like the most touching, greatest comic I've ever read that just blew me out of the water. But it still only happened in that hour of reading. Mm. And I will scream about where to find this web comic. On like my social media, I will retweet the link to a bunch of people, but I have no control if they go and see it. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to go back <laughs> and read it update to update. You know, I will wait until last year when I or the next year and be like, oh yeah, I've I was really into this webcomic. Let's go back and read it again. Yeah. When you kind of put things in perspective that way, it's like this is why I don't have people reading my webcomic. This is like, like daily. This is why I don't have people commenting all the time or, or likes, but tapas and webtoons do not treat you like that. They just, 
they just show you a bunch of metrics. You'll either see zero or you'll see a bunch. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, they don't think I'm doing very well. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, how can you tell? Because like, I'm a lurker too. I don't comment on anything. I don't, I don't go out of my way to like posts. Yep. Just because I forget that button is there. Also, the time. I don't always have something I need to say about a chapter. Like, yeah. what what do people want me to comment? And actually, that's a question for you. If What would you want people to say about your chapters? <sighs> okay, so the only time that it actually bothers me when I don't get a reaction, and I, and I say reaction because I want it to be very broad, mm -hmm. is when I hit a crucial storytelling point and then there's nothing that happens in the first week. And I have to remind myself that it's because <laughs> there's probably no one reading this week because they binged last week. And I'll have to wait, you know, a, a couple, little bit. Yeah. Uh, maybe even months before somebody even is like, oh, no. And like, <laughs> <laughs> Just a small <gasps> comment in the... <laughs> But are they really going to type, oh, no, when they waited three months to pick me up again and already have like an extra 100 pages because I update six times a week? So they'll just keep reading. So why? Why would they comment? <laughs> yeah. What happens anyway. Yeah. So like, why? Why would they comment? You know, and like, I've also had this thing, too, where I came out with this YA webcomic and was like, ha ha, webcomic for teenagers and up. Forgetting the fact that teenagers do not have access to friggin' credit cards. So, like, they can't buy this book. So even if I'm trying to lean on sales as opposed to interaction, my main audience can't buy the book unless their parents buy them for them. Oh. So, <laughs> so, like, when you start applying logic to your own situation, you realize the absurdity of a lot of demands of these platforms are, and it's just like, no. Now this makes sense. This makes sense now. Yeah. It does it doesn't make me feel better, but <laughs> Yeah. I could totally I could relate because of the podcast. And I mean, we get pretty regular weekly downloads, and that's pretty much the only thing I pay attention to. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. we have the same 35 people <laughs> listening week to week. I'm like, fuck <laughs> yeah, thanks you. Thanks, you guys. But any of the other metrics, I'm like, I don't know what this means. Like, why does it matter that we have most listened episodes? I suppose some of it, since I tag the people that we're talking about, I can tell like, oh, do people actually give a shit? about this particular creator and am i seeing that in my overall downloads for that episode the yeah. answer is usually no um, <laughs> but it's still just yeah the metrics are like what what is this what yeah i look at the numbers and i'm like there are numbers i don't know what they mean <laughs> like, they're not telling me but like unless you yeah unless you actually stop to think about it like i don't i never download a podcast because i just listen to them in the browser yeah so it's like how many podcasts that I absolutely love and think I'm supporting have no idea I exist because I don't attribute to a metric that they yep. can see. Yeah. And like, that's the frustrating part is that once you start applying logic to how these metrics work, you're like, wow, these are useless. Yeah. <laughs> what? Absolutely like, useless. Yeah. Yeah. You could have a, a comic page that some rando with an agenda sees 
and just sends a hate mob after you. And as far as the metrics are concerned, that was the best page you ever made because hundreds of people saw this page out of every other page. But it's just because some guy on the internet saw you and wanted to pick a fight. And yeah, sure, you're... you're That's not sustainable. Might... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like that, I don't want to go through that level of abuse no. for, these, yeah. for these metrics to be happy. So <laughs> it is... <laughs> once you start realizing like that's kind of thing, that's what made has made me kind of cope with how this whole situation works. And I also have the um, added effect where I have had people tell me that now that they have the books in print, they don't read the webcomic anymore. <laughs> so, which makes sense. Cause why, yeah. why would you have to read it daily when you've already binge read the whole thing at the end? So it's just like one of these situations where it's just like, how much am I shooting myself in the foot? Or making this thing work. Like, it is really very hard to estimate how well you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, after reading the first book, I will probably check out your webcomic more. I have terrifying amount of piles of things I haven't read. But oh, yes, I have seen those. <laughs> yes, you have. Uh, but I have read that first volume, and I loved it, and I do want to continue the story. However, buying the book for me was like a $50 endeavor, you, yeah. you know. They're expensive. Yes, which worth it because it's a great amount of content. Um, so definitely that page to dollar ratio is fucking primo. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> with everything else that I'm buying might not be sustainable. And since you've given a free option... I might take advantage of that. And when I do read that, I will make sure every time I have a read a page, I'll leave a comment with my emotional reaction to it. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. It might just be an emoji. Like, but I mean, it's not like you need me to do a thorough analysis of every page. I could just be no. like smiley face, brownie face, thumbs up, thumbs down, fire. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, and I, I mean, some people get anxious about writing comments too. So like, they're never like, I, I've met a lot of folks with anxiety about talking to creators because they just don't know what's appropriate. There's yeah. no rules, rules of introduction. And some people are more, I use the word sensitive, but I don't really mean like sensitive, like, but like some people have different triggers than others when it comes to comments Correct. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I totally understand where people are coming from on both sides as a creator listening to comments and having to mod their comment stuff. And then as readers who just want to get excited and blurt whatever they want, yeah. uh, webtoon readers tend to be the most blatant about what they say. But that's also because I found out that there's like literal seven year olds reading on that app. So I'm just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that explains uh -huh. a lot of the weird comments I've gotten. <laughs> like this is an actual child. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so just like that's a thing to remember. Like, how old are you? And they'll be like, I'm seven, and I'm. Just, oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's an interesting endeavor, but uh, yeah. So like uh, the common things and the reading everyday thing, it really is just good to have it there. Like I like having a free option for people because the books are expensive, and most of that is simply because I'm an independent publisher. Yeah. And if I want to not completely cut my own arms and legs off trying to sell these things, unfortunately, I chose to sell them at something that actually pays for the books, which is. No, it, like forty dollars. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like at first I was totally shocked, but I did process through all that of like I wanted to support you in your book, 
and read this and giving free content is amazing. This isn't the only time I've read something for free. I mean, something from Viz. Viz has their app where you can read current chapters for free. I read I think those. Shonen Jump does too now. Yeah, I've, I've been involved with that and reading that for a long time, but now I'm going back and rereading whatever I read through them and paying for the copies because they gave me yeah. the free. I loved it. I'm going to now go back and support it financially. And that's how I feel about your stuff too. It's like, I'll go through and finish it. And when I can't afford and it gets to my queue of this is now what I'll buy, I'll probably buy the physical copy. So that way I can just read those again and kind of instead of staring at a screen. So <laughs> I will say though, it is frustrating because I know from like a book buying perspective, they are expensive books because I personally don't spend like $50 on a book. Yeah. There is like actual logistics to it. I bet. Yeah. That's what makes it frustrating because the more books you sell, the cheaper they are. Mm. I spent money on a 200 print run and that ended up making the books $40 each so that I could take something home to pay for other books. But if I had been able to get 500 copies, I would have been able to drop the price to like $35, $30 um, just in that first Kickstarter, but I didn't. So because I didn't, they had to be more expensive, which made them harder and more out of reach from people. But if I had been able to do the 500 books, it, that $10 can make a difference. You know, and that's the kind of sucky part. Yeah. Uh, to make myself feel better, I usually try to browse chapters and see how expensive other books are. So my favorite thing to do is to take like the big omnibus of Akira down. Yes. <laughs> turn it over and it'll be like, oh, it's it's $25. And I'm like, okay, Akira, one of the best selling manga of all time has just as many pages as mine does. Mine's a little smaller. Mine's full color and is only $10 more. I'm not over stepping because if I yeah. was following like the rules of business, those books would be like $60 a piece. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Once you start like dealing with the actual logistics of publishing, you're just like, man, you already got to be rich to to get rich. This sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that one. Isn't it like have money to make money? No, it's spend money, but whatever. Like that's a really, you have to have that money to spend first. It's a really good point. Cause, um, I have a friend and he's actually the one who's going to be editing this episode. So shout out to you, Mitch. Hello, Mitch. Thank you. He really loves prose mysteries, and he hasn't really gotten into the comic graphic novel world except for the Adventure Zone comics, the adaptations. And we, I have an episode with him, actually, where we talk about that. He was one of my first guests. In our conversation, it's literally just price points, right? Because comics can feel like they're read quicker than prose, but can be four or five times the price of a prose book. Like if he can buy an Agatha Christie book for five bucks and get much more rereadability from the Adventure Zone book, which is $20 or 25, he's going to go with Agatha Christie, multiple Agatha Christie over the Adventure Zone. However, he loved the podcast so much that he decided to invest in the books and he has thoroughly enjoyed them. That also, when you were mentioning earlier about drop in the bucket compared to prose, that yeah. amplifies that of pros are selling so many units that they can be cheaply paid for because it just comes back in astronomical numbers. Whereas graphic novels yeah. are pricier because not as many people are buying them overall even manga has the advantage over like western comics and most of the i say western but like you know full color traditional 10 by 7 comic and that's because tonkaban 
the style. Mm-hmm. That, that's what manga is called. They specifically go black and white because it's cheaper. Yeah. But they also can use lower quality paper. So between the paper and the fact that they're only using black and white ink, they usually use like a pointerly style with tone. Mm-hmm. That also makes it cheaper than printing a smooth black and white transition like grayscale. Manga printing is so astronomically cheaper compared to what we expect from our regular local comic book store that they, it's why they can like make 30 volumes. <laughs> <laughs> At 10 and bucks each. Yeah. They're, only, yeah, they're only like 10, 15 bucks each. Yeah. You know, that's a new expectation of what people can buy. And like, because you're a kid and you're like, do I want this YA novel or do I want this 200 page Shonen Jump manga? And it's like, well, the manga's only like $2 more. I'll get the manga. So like, <laughs> my yeah. books can't do that. <laughs> And a lot of indie creators can't do that. And like even uh, like even DC and Boom and all those other publishers, like even they have a hard time hitting that hitting that price point. Yep. And most of this, like again, most of those only exist in stores like like Chapters or Barnes and Noble. And there's a whole different set of logistics once that happens that comics, in how we traditionally expect them, can't meet in terms of just production line. Like it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. And then web comics are kind of expected to just, when they go to print, meet these demands yeah. from mass publishers. And it's just like, Oh God, yeah. Do, do I hurt myself? Do I sell my books at cost? Do like, what, what do you do? I have to sell like before shipping, I have to think about how expensive my books have to be to cover just the cost. To, to cover just the cost of it and it's yeah. it's it is uh it's tricky yeah and uh the uh, i think at the time of this recording one of the biggest tweet discourse twitter discourse things that i saw was like what do you think people knew about the comics industry yeah somebody said it's not a customer service industry that one i has been getting all kinds of rounds and critiques and things. And, <laughs> but it it is not a customer service industry. It's a business. It's a production yeah. business that's trying to fund this creative growth and exploration of artists and writers and also produce something. Like we have to yeah. consume it in some way. Like there's a transaction either through a an emotional reaction on yeah. a free page that we get to read or spending the money to further invest. And yeah, that's why I, whenever somebody is um, printing something that is for free online, I'll go back and buy it when I can. Like a uh, Laura Olympus, I think is about to get a volume one and I'm like, fuck yeah, let's get that because support yeah. them. And then Space Boy <laughs> is a web comic that also is going to have a printing. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do that. Let's go. Let's buy these things that I've already consumed and loved and spent time on. And now I yeah. can further pay into it in some tangible way. That's not a click on a link. Well, and like, that's the weird thing too, is people are like, oh, web comics are so weird. And I'm like, because they're allowed to be weird. Yes. And the thing about webcomics is by doing it the reverse way, you don't pay to read it until it comes out in print in Kickstarter later. People can have the chance to enjoy them. They can mm-hmm. they can develop a fire following. You can take that marketing information to a publisher and be like, look, this just sold 10,000 units. Like, yeah. 
obviously this is something that people want and any publisher yep. worth their salt will be looking at webcomics to be like, okay, so there's an industry here. I mean, check please made was like, was one of the most successful financially successful webcomics in all of Kickstarter history. And like, it's about gay hockey, which I yes. would, yeah. would never have guessed. <laughs> like, I almost want to say thank I'm you, kidding. Haiku, I'm for not that. Big on hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, how many publishers would have guessed that gay hockey would have been the thing that, that went big? And obviously it's not just gay hockey. It's the way it's made and mm-hmm. the production team, that kind of stuff. But like, you know... It is a risky venture. The thing about a lot of businesses, especially in media, is they have tentpole projects. And these tentpole projects are projects that are expected to fit all of the marketing niches and already have an established uh, fan base to read from. Batman. So, yeah, Batman is a good example. (laughs) Batman is a tentpole movie. All of the Marvel movies is Disney's tentpole movies. Mm -hmm. And the thing about, like, you know, publishers have tentpole books. That's why they always, like, every couple of years, they do a new illustration for Alice in Wonderland and resell it a bunch. You know, yeah. they, they take these public domain copies and then just like rebrand them, resell them, remarket them, you know, ship a whole bunch of new additions to a schools or whatever, because they are tentpole books. They are books that people will always continue to buy because of their sheer legacy behind them. And those books will support riskier ventures. And then that way, if they don't make enough money, you know that your tentpole books will keep that up. Comics don't really have those because, first of all, like graphic novels just as a thing, they can't produce the same amount of books as literary books. So you have a severe smaller amount, but you have to invest more money and time in them because you usually need a whole team or a really long time to make comics. So they don't get to be tentpole projects, really. And so because comics don't have a lot of tentpole money, it makes it even harder to be risky and try try ventures into smaller, niche projects. Unless you have something like Check Please that comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere and is like, you can support this. <laughs> or, and I do think that it's it's changing a little bit too when it comes to temples. Like the temples are being built now because I see Sandman is always reprinted. Bone yeah. keeps getting reprinted. Watchmen. Watchmen. Um, Dogman might become one of the new, whatever oh. that YA book that keeps selling yeah. out. But, but that was all from Captain Underpants. So Captain Underpants was the temple for that. So Akira, I think is one, you, you know, we mentioned that. So that's going to be those are the big ones that I think people are always going to kind of lean on again. What else is one? Berserk keeps getting different. I keep, feel like yeah. that keeps getting different printings. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is yep. a temple. Yep. Uh, I think The Walking Dead became a temple as well. I think so too. Saga became a temple, or it should be considered. Uh, I think so. I may not be as so high because it technically it hasn't sold its IP yet. That's fair. So. Uh, unfortunately I hate to do this, but like one of those things again, to be a tentpole thing is to like know whether or not you can branch out from just being a comic mm. in terms of like business and franchise and all that other kind of stuff. That's fair. You know, the only reason the adventure zone got a comic was because it was already based on a really popular podcast yep. based on another podcast yeah. from the McElroy. So, I mean, like they already had a huge industry that was booming, but if you just came with the adventure zone by itself to a publisher, like nobody, they'd be like, no, no nobody would have picked it up. Not at <laughs> like, all. Not at all. 
It's the same with Critical Role. Like, let's be real. Like, there, <laughs> nobody would read the comic if it wasn't already for the team that were doing it. Yeah. Which their uh, D and D show wouldn't have succeeded if they didn't have all the anime nerds and like the voice acting fans behind them. Like, they do wonderful work. I'm not trying to, you know diminish oh, yeah. what they do but it does help to have a brand like no, sometimes you just have to like face face the logistics of yeah. comic making and yeah. it's not always very nice when you're like a small time creator and you you know you are not a McElroy <laughs> you can't have two podcasts and a tv show and if only we all could be mm, single tier I'll just have to be me um, shucks <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know there's a lot of popular web comics that existed in 2000s that nobody would touch with a 10-foot pole now so that's fair. market trends yeah. do play into that you know i'm appreciating that everyone is being more comfortable and coming out as gay because it makes being a gay creator i wouldn't say easier but like you know that there's more of a market that yeah. you can you can be to but again like if you are a gay creator and you're making stuff for teenagers, you also have to think about the fact that some teenagers who would really want this can never buy it. They might read it in a library. They might do that, but they know that they can't bring it into the house. So like mm. there's little logistics like those that you kind of understand about like the market that you're selling to and that kind of stuff that might hinder your own ability to sell books. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. I know. But is it rewarding in a sense to know that you're making something and you're targeting it to an audience and you're like, somebody, some kid out there is reading and enjoying this and I'm hoping I'm adding to their experience. Like, is, do you ever fantasize about that for like, uh, is there someone out there thriving off of what you're creating? I was, that was a fantasy for me, but I actually did a local art market and had my fantasy become a reality because I actually had somebody hunt me down. <gasps> to get the, their book signed and she was very lovely and then she even wanted me to pose with her for a photo and that just like made my whole day oh and congratulations then... <laughs> thank you um but like just the fact that she had been like looking for my work and like you know she wanted me to, to actually sign it was just like oh wow this is but it was, it only happened at an in-person event right and yeah. we have to be be close enough locally. And then the second part was I had a like a gaggle of girls. There must have been like seven or eight girls show up. And they're just kind of like wandering around the table looking at things, kind of disinterested. And I'm just like, oh, you know, this is a comic and this is what happens in the comic. And her mom is like, okay, thank you. And then as soon as the dad shows up, they all scream and run at the dad. Dad, can you buy us a book? <laughs> <laughs> And like, I swear to God, I was just like, oh, is that my heart beating? Like, oh my God. Look at this. That's so cool. That is so delightful. I like how they're trying to, you know, act aloof. Like, yeah, no, this is great. Yeah, no, this, this is, is so fine. Cool. I guess this, this is so, okay. Like, and then as soon as the money was there, it was like, just like, fuck yeah, let's go. I love that. Yeah. Speaking of ways to interact with creators, I feel like the genuine interactions where you roll up and you're like, I fucking love your shit. I can't afford it, but I love it. It would be so yeah. much better than just being like, oh no, I'm trying to act cool because I want you to know that I'm interested and that I might buy, but I can't. I, I would. I feel like y'all would just appreciate if someone rolls up and like, I fucking love it. I can't afford it, but you're killing it. And just like, uh, <laughs> leave. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's one of those things where like, if you just tell other people that you like my book, that actually does way more, way more for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, buying my book obviously helps, but like, 
that word of mouth is something that I cannot do on my own. I cannot right. do in any capacity because I'm the one selling the book. So I can't do that. But as soon as somebody tells somebody else, hey, this this book is really good and I enjoy it and I really like it because it has these elements, like that helps. Like there that helps go. a lot more than anybody thinks because when I buy books... <laughs> I don't listen to marketing because I've been burned by marketing. I only have so much money, so much time. Yeah. But if somebody I trust goes, hey, I really like this book. I think you'd enjoy it. I will buy the book, not knowing anything more than that. If somebody tells like, you know, I just need a recommendation saying, I think you'll like this. I'll buy it. I'll read it. I'll hunt down the author and see what they're making. And like, it's really hard to explain to people that you never have to apologize for not having money, especially to a webcomic artist. <laughs> Fair. Retweets really do help. Talking about it really does help. Obviously, I don't expect that kind of engagement from people because it's hard for me to do. Like really just like telling people you like something is is precious in itself. So hear that world being positive. <laughs> that's what really helps. So, but uh, thank you so much for joining me. We'll wrap this up because we we passed oh, yes. the hour mark that Sorry. we usually know. This was exciting. This was good. <laughs> I love hearing about this stuff. It's the side that as a consumer, I never get exposed to. I'm just the receiving end of all the prices and the logistics calculations. So hearing it, pretty fucking cool for me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. Okay. So, uh, Kristen was awesome, and I'm really glad she got to join us. Uh, the server she was talking about is the Discord server for Girls Talk Comics called Girls Talk Comics and Community. If you want to check it out, it's part of our link tree that will be connected with this episode. Pretty fucking cool shit. We talk about the book club. I get listener feedback there. I don't know. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, all of your favorite podcast listening websites. Jess has the spiel. I don't. Anyway, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining Kristen as well. Hope you enjoyed us talking about webcomics and I hope you read a good one, especially hers, 12 of Magic and Muses. It was really enjoyable. Hope you have a good day, y'all. Bye. Captain Underpole, Comfort, Captain Underpants is a tent pole. Yeah.